from Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. For more than a year now, Australia's borders have been largely closed off to the rest of the world. Travel restrictions have played a crucial role in keeping Australia safe from the worst of the pandemic. But despite growing pressure, the federal government has been reluctant to announce their end date. Today, columnist for the Saturday paper, Paul Bongiorno, on why Prime Minister Scott Morrison is so keen to keep Australia's international border shut. Paul, in the budget last week, there was one pretty interesting bit of information that I want to ask you about, and that is the fact that Australia's borders will be closed until the middle of next year. Is that the case? It is, Ruby. Last week, the government announced their 2021-22 budget, and the headlines focused on how big spending the policies would be, the major ones. But as in every budget, all the figures relied on certain key assumptions. If you start to open up, if you start to have those controls relaxed, then you can expect to see large numbers of cases in this country, even with the vaccination program in case. Well, in the, the United States right now... Probably the most key assumption, if I can put it that way, was the revelation that the Morrison government wasn't expecting international borders to reopen for another 12 months at least. And what we've been doing is being careful being led by the medical advice, being led by the economic advice, and that has got Australia where we are right now. Now, Ruby, our borders have been closed since March last year when the pandemic began raging. And while initially there was uh, widespread support for that decision, as things have dragged on, families have been separated and our economy has taken a hit, particularly key areas of it like tourism and education. And more people are beginning to query the slammed shut nature of the closure. So if an Australian wants to go and visit their son or daughter in London, say in July of next year, will they be allowed to do so without having to do the two weeks quarantine on return? Well, it's impossible for me for to say at this point, Lee. I think Is that we your need goal, to understand. Uh, it's impossible for me to make those sorts of predictions in the middle of a global pandemic, the likes of which we haven't seen for a hundred years. So when the budget revealed that the status quo would remain for another year, well, Scott Morrison's been facing opposition from a range of stakeholders concerned about how this will impact them. And so what exactly are these groups saying, Paul, and who is making the most noise on this? Well, there have been calls from the New South Wales state coalition government, from within the federal government's own ranks, from business leaders, as well as the university sector, all saying the borders need to be reopened faster, or at the very least, we need a roadmap on, on when it's going to happen and how to get there. Not surprisingly, Ruby, the tourism sector has been the most vocal. Notably, we heard from Virgin Australia CEO Jane Hardlicker, who reportedly made some fairly, well, comments people thought were extreme at a business function hosted by the Queensland University of Technology on Monday. Uh, She told the lunch that Australia can't keep its borders shut indefinitely and said we can't keep COVID out forever. And she went on to comment, according to the reports, that COVID-19 will make us sick but won't put us into hospital. Some people may die, 
but it will be way smaller than the flu. Online Chief Executive of the Flight Centre Group. Expanded international travel. How far away is it? Uh, Graeme Turner, good morning. Uh, good morning, Neil. When do you reckon we could be flying internationally? Well, the Chief Executive of Flight Centre, Graham Turner, whose business has taken an absolute hammering, well, he backed Hardlicker. He said her remarks made sense, even if they were unpalatable. A lot of people die on the roads, but it doesn't mean to say you stop um, you stop the uh, you know, traffic on the roads. I think we've got to come to the... Turner spoke on Radio 3AW, and he said it's just the correlation probably doesn't sound that good. Uh, just like the flu, a lot of people get vaccinated for the flu. Um, each year, but I think a couple of thousand people die from the flu every year, and, and it'll be the same. No, I, but, but this I is, this is I, potentially yeah. far, far worse than the flu. And there are plenty of others who also think the borders should reopen, including, as I mentioned, some within the coalition. Liberal MPs Tim Wilson, Dave Sharma and Jason Falinski all told the Sydney Morning Herald they think the borders need to reopen faster than the mid-2022 budget target. And you would expect business and, in particular, travel businesses and airlines to advocate for opening up the border more quickly. But is there criticism of the current policy from other sectors, Paul? Well, there's also been criticism of our current policies from the Australian Medical Association. The head of the AMA, Dr Omar Korshid, said Morrison needed to accept that Australia's health system would need to cope with new variants of the virus. And Morrison should put a date on reopening international borders. The AMA is also calling for international quarantine hubs in every state, like the one in the Northern Territory. Korshid also said that at some point it will not be possible to justify the maintenance of border closures, given their impact on lives and livelihoods. And so... Paul, how has Scott Morrison responded to all of this criticism? Because it's been coming at him from all quarters here. Is he saying that he'll change anything in response? Well, for starters, Ruby, Morrison uh, labelled the Virgin CEO Hardlicker's comments as insensitive. You know, I regret that those comments were somewhat insensitive. Somewhat insensitive, and I would encourage people. You know, 910 Australians have lost their lives. But amidst the growing pressure, he did seem to shift his position somewhat revealing a potential roadmap for how Australia might re-engage with the world. He flagged a move to home-based quarantine and confirmed vaccine passports could be developed with the states and territories, although there is some resistance from them about that. However, the plan remains to keep the borders shut until mid-2022. So, Paul, why do you think it is then that Scott Morrison is making this decision to keep borders closed for another year, despite the criticism. What is behind this? I have absolutely no doubt it's got everything to do with the fact that the next federal election is due to be held by mid-2022. And, Ruby, as much as many Australians don't want to accept this, the idea of closing borders to keep us safe is well established in the Australian political psyche. And in the context of the pandemic, it worked quite effectively for state governments as a policy measure both to keep COVID-19 out and to shore up public support, especially in the lead-up to an election, as we saw in Western Australia. We are prepared to make the tough decisions to keep Western Australia safe. 
during the COVID period and to crush the virus. Queensland. I have been absolutely focused on them and their families and our tough, strong measures have kept Queenslanders safe. And Tasmania. My team and I have been decisive and we've held firm during the COVID-19 crisis and together with Tasmanians, we've helped Tasmania become one of the safest places in the world. They all had strict border policies and they all won their elections handsomely. And Ruby, the good money is on a federal election later this year. So that is the frame which so much of the budget and the policies announced within it were written. We'll be back in a moment. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. Paul, just how much is the Morrison government thinking about how to win the next federal election right now? <laughs> Well, they're always thinking about it, Ruby. And as soon as the Parliament adjourned last week, Scott Morrison hot-footed it to Queensland. It's the state that did most to save his government and, without doubt, holds the keys to the lodge next time. And bolstering the conclusion that an imminent election is in the air is the fact that Morrison made room on the government jet for the political editors of the two highest-rating TV news shows and their camera crew, Channel 7's Mark Riley and 9's Chris Yulman. Well, they went along for the ride, as did Phil Curry from the Australian Financial Review, and he had his uh, photographer in tow as well. Morrison's first port of call was the Gladstone-based seat of Flynn, held by the retiring sitting Nationals member Ken O'Dowd. This is a seat all sides agree could be vital to deciding who forms government at the next election. And like Morrison, Labor leader Anthony Albanese spent much of the week on the trail in Queensland. Anthony Albanese, he's back with us again. Good afternoon to you, sir. Are you well? Always good to have a chat. Albanese, welcome. G'day, kid. Mr Albanese joins you this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you. Looking forward to being in Rocky again. Labor's research, I'm told, shows much of the improving stocks in that state come from the fact Albanese has neutralised the cold jobs issue. It was a big one in Flynn, as Gladstone is one of the world's largest coal ports. Uh, This government not only don't have a plan for mining workers now in terms of what's happening with the use of labour hire, casualisation in the industry, undermining wages and conditions, Uh, they don't have a plan for the future as well. Albanese's message, oft repeated in local radio interviews around regional Queensland, is he supports coal jobs while there is international demand for the commodity. Metallurgical coal uh, from uh, the the Bowen Basin uh, continues to be exported, continues to be used for steel production uh, around the world. There continues to be a global demand 
uh, for it. Albanese says the industry's future will depend not on decisions taken by politicians in Australia, but by those taken in boardrooms in Beijing, Tokyo, Seoul or New Delhi. Right, and is this strategy that Albanese is taking working then? What do we know about how popular he is with voters compared to Scott Morrison at this moment in time? Ruby, it's not so much a a question, I think, of the leader's popularity, but rather how this is all translating in who people will actually vote for. And according to two major polls this week, the major parties are neck and neck. In fact, Labor is marginally in front in the news poll two-party preferred. And in the new Resolve political monitor, in the nine newspapers, there's a similar result. And Resolve's director, Jim Reid, and I can tell you he's a seasoned pollster, who honed his skills with the old formidable Crosby Texter outfit, well, he says the result in two-party terms is too close to call. So it's going to be a very tight election. Mm. Okay, so, Paul, we're heading into a potential election campaign. The two major parties are neck and neck, and Scott Morrison seems to be banking on his policy of keeping borders closed um, being something that voters will like. Is there a risk, though, that the economic damage, not to mention the social impacts of that, might end up backfiring? Well, I think there certainly is a risk, and we're beginning to see uh, some of that with the way in which uh, Scott Morrison handled the Australians stranded in India. And, Ruby, it's interesting to note that Albanese said that the government's border rhetoric is all about politics. He says there are alternatives like fixing quarantine and fixing the rollout of the vaccine. But it's also important to note that Labor isn't demanding a reopening of the borders, which means that they too see it's a politically sensitive area. Paul, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Ruby. Bye. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Memento. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news today, the New South Wales government has announced that 23 clinics across the state are now administering the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine to people aged between 40 and 49. Another six clinics are due to open in June. And the Victorian government has unveiled this year's state budget, promising to spend $3.8 billion on mental health services over the next four years. 7am is a daily show from the Monthly and the Saturday Paper. It's produced by Elle Marsh, Atticus Basto, Michelle Macklem and Cinnamon Nippard. Ryan Compo mixes the show. Our editor is Osman Faruqi. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. Our senior producer is Ruby Schwartz. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. New episodes of 7am are released every weekday morning. Follow us in your favourite podcast app to make sure that you don't miss out. I'm Ruby Jones. See you next week.